Poinsettia and Her Family by Felicia Bond. Poinsettia had six brothers and sisters, a mother and a father. They lived in a fine old house surrounded by hydrangea bushes and lilac hedges, which Poinsettia's mother would occasionally cut for a nice effect in the dining room. There was pachysander in which to play hide-and-seek in the early evenings of summer and a rock out front to sit on. Inside, there was a red leather window seat for reading in the late afternoon sun and a bathroom with balloon pink wallpaper. Poinsettia thought it a perfect house. One day, Poinsettia came home from the library with her favorite book, a book about a little spotted circus horse who danced. Poinsettia had read it five times before, but she was looking forward to it all the same. She trotted past her mother in the garden and her father in the kitchen and headed straight for the red leather window seat. If the summons was coming in the window just right, it would spread like warm butter across the pages of her book. Poinsettia walked a little faster, patting her pocket to make sure it held the cherry tart she had bought for just this occasion. The sun was coming in the window just right, <clears throat> spreading like warm bread butter across the fat little body of Julius, the third from the youngest who was already curled up on the soft red leather. I will go to the rock in the front yard, Poinsettia grunted, where I can read my book in peace. But the rock could hardly be seen for all the piglets lying about, like a bunch of seals, Poinsettia snorted. She stomped off toward the balloon pink bathroom where the tub was just right for reading. But there, up to her chins in water, was Chickpea, who said she hadn't washed her feet yet. This house would be perfect except for one thing, Poinsettia fumed. There are too many of us in it. It is not possible to go anywhere without running into a brother or a sister, a mother or a father. That night, Poinsettia was very nasty. She pinched a brother, stepped on a sister, and yelled louder than both of them put together. She did more things and worse things, and it was only seven o'clock. Poinsettia was sent to bed early that night for general misbehavior. The next day, Poinsettia's father announced to the whole family that they were moving. We will look for a new house, he said. This one is too small for us. Oh, no, it's not, Poinsettia thought. It's the family that's too big. But she kept her thoughts to herself and vowed not to go with them. When the family left, Poinsettia lay low in the Pachysandra. Nobody noticed. The car seemed full. She lay there for a long time just in case they came back. They didn't. Good, Poinsettia said, and clutching her book close to her, ran straight for the red leather window seat. The light had never been more buttery, nor the leather as warm. Poinsettia read two pages there, then ran to the rock in the front yard. The rock had never felt more solid. Poinsettia read six more pages, but a wind was whipping up, <clears throat> and it was even starting to snow. Poinsettia ran inside. She warmed herself in a deliciously hot bath. She read four pages, then spent an hour staring dreamily at the wallpaper. It had never looked pinker, and neither had Poinsettia. I'm a pig in bliss, she gurgled. Poinsettia let the water out of the tub. The snow came down harder, and Poinsettia fell asleep. She dreamed about a dancing circus horse. It snowed all that afternoon and into the evening. By the time it was dark, Poinsettia had read her book 18 times. She wrapped herself in an old blanket and looked for something to eat. What little food there was, she ate cold. This house is not as it used to be, she said aloud quietly. What I need is a rope. If I had a rope, I could make a tent with this blanket. I could tie the rope to two doorknobs and put a blanket over it. My tent would be a house inside a house. What a good idea. Poinsettia searched everywhere for a bit of rope. 
All she found was a frayed piece of string that was barely long enough for anything. But in the farthest corner of a dark, dark closet, Poinsettia found something else. It was a photograph, an old photograph of her family. Poinsettia remembered taking it herself. This was too much for Poinsettia. With the point of her hoof, she very carefully made a little hole in the top of the photograph. Through the hole, she threaded the string she had found. On each end, she made a knot. This is all I have left of my family, Poinsettia cried and cried and cried. Poinsettia, a small voice called. Poinsettia! Poinsettia nearly fainted dead away. There were her six brothers and sisters, her mother and her father, all squashed and crowded together and smiling from ear to ear. We would have been back sooner, Poinsettia's father said, but the car got stuck in the snow. It's a good thing there are so many of us. We all got out and pushed. Pierre counted everyone, but he counted wrong because he's only three, said Petunia, the eldest. I don't know why we didn't notice right away that you were missing, Julia said, because everything was so peaceful. The whole time we were gone, Poinsettia, her mother said, we talked about what a wonderful house this is. It is our home. Perhaps we don't need as much room as we thought. Maybe not, Poinsettia said. And shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, all squashed and crowded together, they spent the rest of that night and many other nights together, as together as nine pigs could be in their fine old house. Curious George Flies a Kite by Margaret Ray, pictures by H.A. Ray. This is George. He lives in the house of the man with the yellow hat. George is a little monkey, and all monkeys are curious. But no monkey is as curious as George. That's why his name is Curious George. I have to go out now, said the man with the yellow hat. Be a good little monkey till I come back. Have fun and play with your new ball, but do not be too curious. And the man went out. It was a lot of fun for George to play with his big new ball. The ball went up, and George went up, and the ball went down, and George went down. George could do a lot of tricks with his ball, too. This was one of his tricks. He could get on the ball like this, or do it this way with his head down. This was another trick George could do. He could hold the ball on his head like this. Look, no hands. What a good trick. But where did the ball go? George ran after it. The ball had gone into another room. There was a big window in the room. George liked to look out that window. He could see a lot from there. He let the ball go and looked out. George could see Bill on his bike and the lake with a boat on it. George could see a big house in a little garden and a little house in a big garden. The big house was the house where Bill lived. But who lived in the little house? George was curious. Who could live in a house that was so little? George had to find out. So he went to the big garden. The garden had a high wall, but not too high for a monkey. George got up on the wall. All he had to do now was jump down. So George jumped down into the big garden. Now he could take a good look at the little house. And what did he see? A big white bunny and a lot of little bunnies. George looked and looked and looked. Bunnies were something new to him. How funny they were. The big bunny was Mother Bunny. She was as big as George. But the little bunnies were so little that George could hold one of them in his hand. And that is what he wanted to do. How could he get a bunny out of the house? A house must have a door to get in and to get out. But where was the door on the bunny house? Oh, there it was. George put his hand in and took out a baby bunny. What fun it was to hold a baby bunny. 
and the bunny did not mind. It sat in his hand, one ear up and went her down and looked at George, and George looked back at it. Now he and the bunny could play in the garden. They could play a game. They could play get the bunny. George would let the bunny hop away, and then he would run after it and get it back. George put the bunny down. Then he looked away. One, two, run. The bunny was off like a shot. George did not look. Now he had to wait a little. One, two, three, four, he waited. Then George looked up. Where was the bunny? He could not see it. Where was it? Where had it gone? George looked for it here, and he looked for it there. He could not find it. Where was the bunny? It could not get out of the garden. It could not get up the wall the way George could. It could not fly away. It had to be here, but it was not. The bunny was gone, and all the fun was gone, too. George sat down. He had been a bad little monkey. Why was he so curious? Why did he let the bunny go? Now he could not put it back in the bunny house where it could be with Mother Bunny. Mother Bunny? George looked up why that was it. Mother Bunny could help him. George got up. He had to have some string. Maybe there was some in the garden. Yes, there was a string and a good one, too. George took the string and went back to the bunny house. Mother Bunny was at the door. George let her out and put the string on her. And Mother Bunny knew what to do. Away she went with her head down and her ears up. All George could do was hold the string and run after her. And then Mother Bunny sat down. She saw something. George saw it, too. Something white that looked like a tail like the tail of a baby bunny, and that is what it was. But where was the rest of the bunny? It was down in a hole. A bunny likes to dig a hole and then go down and live in it. But this bunny was too little to live in a hole. It should live in a bunny house. So George got hold of the little white tail and pulled the baby bunny out. Then they all ran back to the bunny house. George did not have to put a string on the baby bunny. It ran after its mother all the way home. George took the string off Mother Bunny and helped them back into the house. He saw a long string on a long stick. Then Mother Bunny and all the little ones lay down to sleep. George looked at them. It was good to see the baby bunny back where it should be. And now George would go back to where he should be. When he came to the wall, he could see something funny in back of it. George got up on the wall to find out what it was. He saw a long string on a long stick. A fat man had a long string in his hand. What could a man do with a string that long? George was curious. The fat man was on his way to the lake, and soon George was on his way to the lake, too. The man took a hook out of his box, put it on a string, and then put something on the hook. Then the man let the string down into the water and waited. Now George knew the string on the stick was to fish with. When the man pulled the string out of the water, there was a big fish on the hook. George saw the man pull one fish after another out of the lake till he had all the fish he wanted. What fun it must be to fish. George wanted to fish too. He had a string. All he needed was a stick, and he knew where to get that. George ran home as fast as he could. In the kitchen, he took the mop off the kitchen wall. The mop would make a good stick. Now George had the string and the stick. He was all set to fish. Or was he? Not yet. George had to have a hook, and on the hook, something that fish liked to eat. Fish would like cake, and George knew where to find some, but where could he get a hook? Why, there was a hook for the mop on the kitchen wall. It would have to come out. With the hook on the string and the string on the stick and the cake in the box in his hand, George went back to the lake. George sat down, put some cake on the hook, and let the line down into the water. Now he had to wait, just as the man had waited. George was curious. 
The fish were curious too. All kinds of fish came to look at the line. Big fish and little fish, fat fish and thin fish, red fish and yellow fish and blue fish. One of them was near the hook. The cake was just what he wanted. George sat and waited. Then the line shook. There must be a fish on the hook. George pulled the line up. The cake was gone, but no fish was on the hook. Too bad. George put more cake on the hook. Maybe this time he would get a fish. But no, the fish just took the cake off the hook and went away. Well, if George could not get the fish, the fish would not get the cake. George would eat it. He liked cake, too. He would find another way to get a fish. George looked into the water. That big red one there with a the long tail. It was so near, maybe he could get it with his hands. George got down as low as he could and put out his hand. Splash! Into the water he went. The water was cold and wet, and George was cold and wet, too. This was no fun at all. When he came out of the kite water, Bill was there with his kite. My, you are wet, Bill said. I saw you fall in, so I came to help you get out. Too bad you didn't get a fish, but it's good the fish did not get you. Now I can show you how high my kite can fly, Bill went on. Bill put his bike up near the tree, and then together they ran off. There was a lot of wind that day, and that was just what they needed. The wind took the kite up fast. George was too little to hold it in this wind. A kite that big could fly away with him, so Bill had to hold it. George saw the kite go up and up and up. What fun it was to fly a kite. They let the kite fly for a long time, so Bill said, I will let the kite down now. I must go home, and you should go too. But when Bill pulled the string in, the kite got into the top of a high tree. Bill could not get it down. Oh, my fine new kite. I cannot let go of it. I must have it back, Bill said. But the tree is too high for me. But no tree is too high for George. He went up to the top in no time. Then little by little, he got the string out of the tree. Down he came with the kite and gave it back to Bill. Thank you, George. Thanks a lot, Bill said. I'm so happy to have the kite back. Now you may have a ride home on my bike. I will run back to the lake and get it. You wait here for me with the kite, but do not let it fly away. George looked at the kite. Then he took the string in his hand. He knew he could not fly the kite in this wind, but maybe he could let it go up just a little bit. George was curious. He let the string go a little, and then a little more, and then a little more, and then a little more. When Bill came back, there was no kite, and there was no George. George, he called, where are you? Then he looked up. There they were, way up in the sky. George had to get help fast. He would go to the man with the yellow hat. The man would know what to do. George is not here, said the man with the yellow hat when Bill came. Have you seen him? George and my kite are up in the sky near the lake, Bill shouted. I came to... But the man did not wait to hear any more. He ran to his car and jumped in. I will get him back, he said. I must get George back. All this time, the wind took the kite up and George with it. It was fun to fly about in the sky. But when George looked down, the fun was gone. He was up so high that all the big houses looked as little as bunny houses. George did not like it a bit. He wanted to get down, but how? Not even a monkey can jump from the sky. George was scared. What if he never got back? Maybe he would fly on and on and on. Oh, he would never, never be so curious again if just this one time he could find a way to get home. Hmm, hmm, what was that? George could hear something, and then he saw something fly in the sky, just like a kite. It was a helicopter, and in the helicopter, hooray, was the man with the yellow hat. Down from the helicopter came a long line. 
George got a hold of it, and the man with the yellow hat pulled him up. George held on to the kite, for he had to give it back to Bill. I'm so happy to have you back, George, said the man with the yellow hat. I was scared, and you must have been scared too. I know you will not want to fly a kite again for a long, long time. You must give it back to Bill when we get home. Hooray, Bill shouted when George came to give him the kite. George is back, and my kite is back too. And then Bill took George by the hand and went with him into the little garden. And from the little garden into the big garden where the bunny house was. Here's one of my baby bunnies, Bill said. Take it, it's for you. A baby bunny for George. George took it in his hands and held it way up. It was his bunny now. He could take it home with him. And that is what he did. Guess How Much I Love You by Sam McGranty, Anita, uh, illustrated by Anita Jerem. Little Nut Brown Hair, who was going to bed, held on tight to Big Nut Brown Hair's very long ears. He wanted to be sure that Big Nut Brown Hair was listening. Guess how much I love you, he said. Oh, I don't think I could guess that, said Big Nut Brown Hair. This much, said Little Nut Brown Hair, stretching out his arms as wide as they could go. Big Nut Brown Hair had even longer arms. But I love you this much, he said. Hmm, that is a lot, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. I love you as high as I can reach, said Little Nut Brown Hair. I love you as high as I can reach, said Big Nut Brown Hair. That is quite high, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. I wish I had arms like that. Then Little Nut Brown Hair had a good idea. He tumbled upside down and reached up the tree trunk with his feet. I love you all the way up to my toes, he said. And I love you all the way up to your toes, said Big Nut Brown Hair, swinging him up over his head. I love you as high as I can hop, laughed Little Nut Brown Hair, bouncing up and down. But I love you as high as I can hop, smiled Big Nut Brown Hair, and he hopped so high that his ears touched the branches above. That's good hopping, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. I wish I could hop like that. I love you all the way down the lane as far as the river, cried Little Nut Brown Hair. I love you across the river and over the hill, said Big Nut Brown Hair. That's very far, that Little Nut Brown Hair. He was almost too sleepy to think anymore. Then he looked beyond the thorn bushes out into the big dark night. Nothing could be further than the sky. I love you right up to the moon, he said, and closed his eyes. Oh, that's far, said the Big Nut Brown Hair. That is very, very far. Big Nut Brown Hair said Little Nut Brown Hair into his bed of leaves. He leaned over and kissed him goodnight. Then he lay down close by and whispered with a smile, I love you right up to the moon and back. Does a kangaroo have a mother too? By Eric Carl. Yes, a kangaroo has a mother, just like me and you. Does a lion have a mother too? Yes, a lion has a mother, just like me and you. Does a giraffe have a mother too? Yes, a giraffe has a mother, just like me and you. Does a penguin have a mother too? Yes, a penguin has a mother, just like me and you. Does a swan have a mother too? Yes, a swan has a mother, just like me and you. Does a fox have a mother too? Yes, a fox has a mother, just like me and you. Does a dolphin have a mother too? Yes, a dolphin has a mother, just like me and you. Does a sheep have a mother too? Yes, a sheep has a mother, just like me and you. 
Does a bear have a mother too? Yes, a bear has a mother just like me and you. Does an elephant have a mother too? Yes, an elephant has a mother just like me and you. Does a monkey have a mother too? Yes, a monkey has a mother too, just like me and you. And do animal mothers love their babies? Yes, yes, of course they do. Animal mothers love their babies just as yours loves you. Sylvester and the Magic Pebble by William Stieg. Sylvester Duncan lived with his mother and father at Acorn Road in Oatsdale. One of his hobbies was collecting pebbles of unusual shape and color. On a rainy Saturday during vacation, he found a quite extraordinary one. It was flaming red, shiny, and perfectly round like a marble. As he was studying this remarkable pebble, he began to shiver, probably from excitement, and the rain felt cold on his back. I wish it would stop raining, he said. To his great surprise, the rain stopped. It didn't stop gradually as rains usually do. It ceased. The drops vanished on the way down. The clouds disappeared. Everything was dry, and the sun was shining as if rain had never existed. In all his young life, Sylvester had never had a wish gratified so quickly. It struck him that magic must be at work, and he guessed that the magic must be in the remarkable-looking red pebble, where indeed it was. To make a test, he put the pebble on the ground and said, I wish it would rain again. Nothing happened, but when he said the same thing, holding the pebble in his hoof, the sky turned black, there was lightning and a clap of thunder, and the rain came shooting down. What a lucky day this is, thought Sylvester. From now on, I can have anything I want. My mother and father can have anything they want. My relatives, my friends, and anybody at all can have everything anybody wants. He wished the sunshine back in the sky, and he wished a wart on his left hind fetlock would disappear, and it did. And he started home, eager to amaze his father and mother with his magic pebble. He could hardly wait to see their faces. Maybe they wouldn't even believe him at first. As he was crossing Strawberry Hill, thinking of some of the many, many things he could wish for, he was startled to see a mean, hungry lion looking right at him from behind some tall grass. He was frightened. If he hadn't been so frightened, he could have made the lion disappear, or he could have wished himself safe at home with his father and mother. He could have wished the lion would turn into a butterfly or a daisy or a gnat. He could have wished many things, but he panicked and couldn't think carefully. I wish I were a rock, he said and he became a rock. The lion came bounding over, sniffed the rock a hundred times, walked around and around it, and went away confused, perplexed, puzzled, and bewildered. I saw that little donkey as clear as day. Maybe I'm going crazy, he muttered. And there was Sylvester, a rock on Strawberry Hill with the magic pebble lying right beside him on the ground, and he was unable to pick it up. Oh, how I wish I were myself again, he thought. But nothing happened. He had to be touching the pebble to make the magic work, but there was nothing he could do about it. His thoughts began to race like mad. He was scared and worried. Being helpless, he felt hopeless. He imagined all the possibilities, and eventually he realized that his only chance of becoming himself again was for someone to find the red pebble and to wish that the rock next to it would be a donkey. Someone would surely find the red pebble. It was so bright and shiny. But what on earth would make them wish that the rock were a donkey? The chance was one in a billion at best. Sylvester fell asleep. What else could he do? Night came with many stars. 
Meanwhile, back at home, Mr. and Mrs. Duncan paced the floor, frantic with worry. Sylvester had never come home later than dinner time. Where could he be? They stayed up all night wondering what had happened, expecting that Sylvester would surely turn up by morning, but he didn't, of course. Mrs. Duncan cried a lot, and Mr. Duncan did his best to soothe her. Both longed to have their dear son with them. I will never scold Sylvester again as long as I live, said Mrs. Duncan, no matter what he does. At dawn, they went about inquiring of all the neighbors. They talked to all the children, the puppies, the kittens, the colts, the piglets. No one had seen Sylvester since the day before yesterday. They went to the police. The police could not find their child. All the dogs in Oatsdale went searching for him. They sniffed behind every rock and tree and blade of grass into every nook and gully of the neighborhood and beyond, but found not a scent of him. They sniffed the rock on Strawberry Hill, but it smelled like a rock. It didn't smell like Sylvester. After a month of searching the same places over and over again and inquiring of the same animals over and over again, Mr. and Mrs. Duncan no longer knew what to do. They concluded that something dreadful must have happened and that they would probably never see their son again, though all the time he was less than a mile away. They tried their best to be happy to go about their usual ways, but their usual ways included Sylvester, and they were always reminded of him. They were miserable. Life had no meaning for them anymore. Night followed day and day followed night over and over again. Sylvester on the hill woke up less and less often. When he was awake, he was only hopeless and unhappy. He felt he would be a rock forever, and he tried to get used to it. He went into an endless sleep. The days grew colder. Fall came with the leaves changing color. Then the leaves fell, and the grass bent to the ground. Then it was winter. The winds blew this way and that. It snowed. Mostly the animals stayed indoors, living on the food they had stored up. One day a wolf sat on the rock that was Sylvester and howled and howled because he was hungry. Then the snows melted. The earth warmed up in the spring sun and things budded. Leaves were on the trees again. Flowers showed their young faces. One day in May, Mr. Duncan insisted that his wife go with him on a picnic. Let's cheer up, he said. Let's try to live again and be happy, even though Sylvester, our angel, is no longer with us. They went to Strawberry Hill. Mrs. Duncan sat down on the rock. The warmth of his own mother sitting on him woke Sylvester from his deep winter sleep. How he wanted to shout, Mother, Father, it's me, Sylvester. I'm right here. But he couldn't talk. He had no voice. He was stone dumb. Mr. Duncan walked aimlessly about while Mrs. Duncan set out the picnic food on the rock. Alfalfa sandwiches, pickled oak, sassafras salad, Timothy compote. Suddenly, Mr. Duncan saw the red pebble. What a fantastic pebble, he exclaimed. Sylvester would have loved it for his collection. He put the pebble on the rock. They sat down to eat. Sylvester was now as wide awake as a donkey that was a rock could possibly be. Mrs. Duncan felt some mysterious excitement. You know, Father, she said suddenly, I have the strangest feeling that our dear Sylvester is still alive and not far away. I am, I am, Sylvester wanted to shout, but he couldn't. If only he had realized that the pebble resting on his back was the magic pebble. Oh, how I wish he were here with us on this lovely May day, said Mrs. Duncan. Mr. Duncan looked sadly at the ground. Don't you wish it too, Father, she said. He looked at her as if to say, how can you ask such a question? Mr. and Mrs. Duncan looked at each other with great sorrow. I wish I were myself again. I wish I were my real self again, thought Sylvester. And in an instant he was. 
You can imagine the scene that followed. The embraces, the kisses, the questions, the answers, the loving looks, and the fond exclamations. When they eventually calmed down a bit and had gotten home, Mr. Duncan put the magic pebble in an iron safe. Someday they might want to use it, but really for now, what more could they wish for? They had all that they wanted. What Grandmas Do Best by Lara Numeroff. Grandmas can play hide and seek, make you a hat, and take you for a walk. Grandmas can paint with you, show you their photographs, and teach you how to dance. Grandmas can take you on a picnic, show you some magic tricks, and help you fly a kite. Grandmas can take you to the beach, help you build a sandcastle, and take a nap with you. Grandmas can play games with you, give you a bath, and sing you a lullaby. But best of all, grandmas can give you lots and lots of love. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day, the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek, and when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day, the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. Oh, I'm too big to climb in place, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so boy, the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy and she said, Come boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. But you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy. She could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered, come and play. I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. After a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, said the boy, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. Oh, my teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. 
My trunk has gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy.